0: Welcome to Unmiked, a video series that blurs the edges that connect the world of opera to just about everything else. My name is Joe Spector and I'm the President and General Director of Arizona Opera. As a kid who grew up in Miami, Florida with dreams of being a hard rock star when I was an adult and who later ended up picking martial arts up and training in that for a big portion of my life, I have found those previous dreams and passions feeding into my everyday leadership of this opera company against all odds. The idea of Unmiked, you know, came from this notion that really disparate lifestyles, passions, hobbies, experiences in a world that's totally unrelated that connects to the world of opera so that we can bring together people from these different lifestyles through this really wonderful art form. During each episode, I will be joined by a recognized professional from the opera field and a professional from another field who engages in similar work to demonstrate just how the elements of opera are the elements of our everyday lives. This is episode uh, three of Unmiked, the series where we explore the blurry edge between opera and just about everything else. And I'm so excited about this episode. This is actually our first episode that's featured singers explicitly, which is amazing because this is a program about opera. And we have three uh, terrific artists here with us today. (laughs) to start by saying i'm going to defer to the group here when we when we uh get into conversation about whether the the name of this episode should be powerhouse quartets which was my somewhat cheesy initial offering or the devo and the divas which is probably yes. worse yes. than janice is on board
1: i love that
0: <laughs> so our our three guests today are uh, lauren kinnon a wonderful singer songwriter in her own right and a member of the wonderful Grammy-winning group New York Voices. Janice Siegel, also a wonderful solo artist and a member of Manhattan Transfer, uh, both arguably uh, sort of jazz vocal quartets, although there's there's some crossover work, a lot of it, and, and that's gonna be part of our conversation today. And my third guest today is David Miller, a, a wonderful opera singer with Pedigree and Opera, but also a member of the international platinum selling group Il Devo. And uh, here we're, we're going to talk today about what these um, what these groups and these individual artists have in common, uh, the, the sort of wild journey of their professional lives, uh, how they converge perhaps unexpectedly and where they diverge. So thank you all for being here today. It really means so much to me.
2: Thank you for having us. Pleasure.
0: <clears throat> so I, I'm going to sort of dive in in this 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 first piece. Um, music brings people together in a really profound way, and you as groups, uh, I think what distinct one thing that distinguishes your three groups to me from what is uh, sort of typically in the in the world of opera is that you have sort of families uh, that are in addition to your your blood families that you that you record with that you tour with and that for for significant parts of your lives you have spent more time with than, than the people who are your actual relatives and and that seems to be a a cohesive piece it's actually so rare to find artists particularly in opera who have such prolific performing and recording background so I, I sort of wanted to jump in the deep end of the pool and just ask you what that life experience is like to essentially have this this built in family uh, that that you travel the world with and how you reconcile that with your personal lives. And and I'm going to start with Lauren um, because she is my family. She's my sister in law. <laughs> I've given yeah. up your your dark secret right out of the <laughs> gate. And so I've gotten to experience this reality you know from afar as your brother in law. Um, but Lauren, why don't we start with you? Uh, you you've been with uh, New York Voices for 30 years now, is that right?
2: Yeah, I'm coming up on 30, Yeah.
0: And you've toured for so much of that time. Uh, now we get to see you on Zoom wherever you are, but, mm-hmm. uh, but, but just talk to me about that, that experience of, you, you, know, you started with the group and uh, you know, at a certain point you didn't necessarily know it was gonna lead and now, now, you, now these, are, these are practically your blood relatives. So what's that experience?
2: Yeah, I mean I think probably all of us would collectively say that that um our 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 peers become our extended family. And I think the way we've reckoned I've personally reconciled it is um is including my fam my real family, blood family with this experience. So they've been sort of included throughout all of my touring life whenever possible we drop in either to neighbor in, in the city that they live and they're included or my my husband and daughter have flown all over the world with me and so honestly they just uh you know my daughter was just saying the other day like I really miss New York Voices and going Mm -hmm. to a concert and Mm -hmm. I miss that feeling of like we're out and we're I'm with these this extended family and so yeah they become part of your your bigger, bigger world and, and, um, you miss them like family. And, mm-hmm. um, we have, we have zoom meetings to just catch up with one another and, figure out how 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 are your parents doing oh how's that bathroom you know remodel coming along i mean it really <laughs> is it really is something where we where we're bonded and so i think the way i've been able to reconcile being away from my family and daughter so much is that they've been included and and part of it and that that sort of psychologically makes it um easier for me to leave then and um and feel okay about it and mm-hmm. know that they know where I am and who I'm with.
0: Right, well, that makes sense, and and we'll have, you know, Zoom in the new normal when we finally get there, so that when all of us are touring again, that uh, we'll have this means of connecting that at least I never thought of as a as an avenue before. Right, uh, Janice, how about you? Your personal life, your professional life. Manhattan transferred tourists so extensively. The last time I got to see you, I was thinking about it. Was was in uh, was in Austin probably 2015 or something like that and um and and you had just lost uh, tim who is the founding member of the group and it was a very emotional performance actually that's really uh, stayed with me that show yeah. but uh, but talk to me a little bit you 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 and uh, manhattan transfer have been together for a long time now um how do you maintain a connection to to the personal part of your life that's separate from the group
3: uh well you know we're coming up to our 50th anniversary as a group Um, again i mean i echo a lot of the the the, uh sentiments lauren just expressed i mean as a woman you know who wanted to have children i thought oh wow how can i integrate that into my Mm -hmm. life as well and i just brought my son with me
1: Mm -hmm. i brought
3: my son with me from the time he was three months old Until, I mean, I, I, uh, until he was really in school and then I would bring him out for weekends and stuff. But as Lauren said, I wanted him to, uh, to uh, reap the benefits of the extended family. And he became very close with Tim, especially and, and everybody in the group and learned what, what mommy does and who she's with. Mm -hmm. So that when I did leave without him, he wasn't flipping out. Mm-hmm. Thing. I mean, these people are our family, you know, you see the best and the worst of people when you're on tour
1: mm-hmm. and,
3: um uh, we've learned, I've learned so much about interpersonal relationships <laughs> from, <laughs> from being in the group dynamic and, yeah. I, and I love being in the group dynamic, but it's challenging and it's really different than being a, a soloist. Certainly.
0: Yeah, Indeed. No, that, that's powerful stuff. Uh, so, David, you you're in you're coming to us from Woodstock, right? Mm-hmm. So, you have chosen sort of like the the palace of solitude as your as your primary domain <laughs> to begin with. Um, uh, David's married to a wonderful soprano, Sarah Joy. Um, and uh, does 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 she come with you when you're on tour? Like, how do you maintain your connection with her and and your other friends and family? And you guys tour every other year, right? I think that's your your approach, roughly you do an album and you'll tour the album, that kind of thing. A lot of time on the road.
4: Well, uh, it's funny you say that the palace of solitude, because right now we just got <laughs> such a huge dump of snow. It, it really does look like <laughs> the North pole up here. Yeah. It looks like Superman's fortress up here, but um, you know, and that, that is one of the reasons uh, that we decided uh, to move here is to have um have periods of solitude uh, to just really shut out the rest of the world and to solidify our relationship. Um, you know, being, uh, being with the guys on tour, you know, you said uh, the, the pace of an album and, and then a subsequent tour, that was kind of the original pace um, when we first started out in 2004. Um, and as we got more comfortable, Uh, with the recording process, because I had never done recording prior to that. Uh, It had all been uh, just strict opera in its natural environment. I had never worked with a microphone. I'd never been in a recording studio. in, in and I had never worked with pop music before. So we had to take the time to really forge our relationships together because we didn't know each other. Uh, we were put together and, and manufactured mm-hmm. to, to some extent. And so we had to get over our egos mm-hmm. and we had to get over our own um, musical backgrounds. I was the most classically trained. Sebastian was a strict pop singer. Carlos had kind of done everything under the sun. Urs had done uh, mainly early music, early composers. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we all had vastly different musical ideas of what Mm -hmm. constituted great music. So we had to get over that. Um, And it took time to craft each album with so many variables going on. And how do we blend and how do we harmonize uh, these four leading voices? And so that was also uh, another... um, rung in the ladder of growth for us as as a as a group um and eventually we got to the point where we became comfortable with this process so we could do an album take a couple of months and then go back out on tour Mm -hmm. so uh before um before the pandemic we we were at it for about three or four years straight just Mm -hmm. kind of um really just going for it and taking the opportunities as they come because there's no guarantees uh, in this industry that you might be popular now, you might not be popular tomorrow. So you really have to strike while the iron is hot. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, um, my relationship with Sarah Joy, both of us being opera singers, both of us always looking for opportunities to perform together uh, in those couple weeks here, maybe a month there when there's downtime from Il Devo, uh, trying to insert not only like a quick, like bond our energies back together. Hey, <laughs> and and she does come out on the road with me whenever uh, our schedules permit and right. whenever we're in a country or an area that makes sense going mm-hmm. around South America. It's a logistical nightmare going from country to country and all the visas you need and all the everything. So we don't really do that. Mm-hmm. Japan, we sit down in Japan for like three weeks and we'll, uh, you know, that's a great place for her to come over. And it's just, it's one environment. We take the trains everywhere. It's not planes so trying to forge you know not forge is not the right word to kind of reconnect uh, mm-hmm. in our relationship and then if we have downtime on t- that's a little bit more extended trying to have performance time together because we love that so much it's it's a lot to juggle
0: yeah i i can i can only imagine and of course in the you know in the traditional opera biz we're, we're very stationary and i think one of the things that might be a a positive outcome of this time is that we we learn in 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 my part of the business to be less insular and to to sort of break through and and that's you know one of the points of this show is to find a way for you know opera to 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 reconnect uh, with people on a broad basis i want to go back to something you said a minute ago david um i i was reading in preparation for our conversation today some uh writings of uh the the great american choral conductor robert shaw and I was thinking about this idea. You use the word blend and you're talking about the different vocal styles uh, that, that Il Devo brings to the group. Uh, Lauren comes from a singer songwriter background. She didn't necessarily plan on being in a jazz voice quartet. She can, she can disavow that <laughs> if she wants to, but, but um, it, it, and in all of your work together, um, you have to find a way to reconcile your individual artistic voice, whether that's from a, a, a a a pure vocal standpoint or from an artistic standpoint with, with the kind of power that a group can only create when you're finding a way to reconcile that and bring it together. So um, starting with you, David, since, since, since we just got on the topic here, how do you square that? You have an early music person, you got a pop person, you got a legit opera singer. Um, What is that process of, Blend. I mean, that that that. If, if there is a word that terrifies an opera singer more than blend, I don't know what it is. What, what, what do you, how do you do that? Am I right? That, <laughs> you
4: have an excellent point. Um, uh, when I was uh, actually, you mentioned Robert Shaw, and when I was at uh, at Oberlin, uh, getting my my degree in vocal performance, I was in the choir. Uh, there as well. And uh, in high school, I was in the choir and I did the musicals. And so that was kind of a natural transition uh, to be part of the choir. And this was really before I started uh, breaking out and finding the depths and the extents to which my voice uh, could reach. And we did um, one of uh, um, Maestro Shaw's final last performances, um, Mahler Four Symphony of a Thousand Voices, and it was it was the Oberlin Choir, and it was the um, it was uh, Cleveland uh, Chorus, and and the Atlanta Symphony Chorus. Mm. And all of us went to Carnegie Hall, and it was one of the most impactful moments I think of uh, working with this this great legend, and with all of these people singing as as one voice. And and really, it it taught me so much about how unison is just as important as harmony. Mm-hmm. And 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 getting everyone's cumulative vibration mm-hmm. in sync is so powerful. Yeah. So what we do in Il Devo is we always let the song dictate the nature of the song. We try and understand the nature of the song and we try and understand mm-hmm. the arc of the song. And each one of our unique um, vocal timbres suits different sections of songs and it depends if it's if it's a very linear melody or if, if the melody jumps around or if it's if it starts strong or if it starts soft or if it's you know every every quality every moment is always different mm-hmm. so we kind of always assess whose voice and it, it took the first the first album took four months mm-hmm. to record because we're just getting to know each other's voices and what they what our voices even are good at in mm-hmm. the construct mm-hmm. of pop music right. Um much less trying to figure out what language we wanted it to be and we actually recorded every song in three languages to see which one would fit the best um but we Mm -hmm. take it we take each part we take each moment and say all right well what's going on here and it it has a lot to do with how the arranger of the song was treating the song so Mm -hmm. we would get that demo and we'd listen to it and we'd say you know maybe sebastian's voice would work better here and Mm -hmm. we try that and then we say well Maybe it's horse's voice. We try that and we go, nah, maybe Sebastian was better. <laughs> and so, and, and or other times, but, no, maybe horse is better. Actually, did, Carlos, have you tried this yet? Mm. And so it was really just kind of figuring out. Whose voice did what? And over time, you know, it was the same with the with the the recording versus touring. Over time, we get got more comfortable with each other's voices, and and we knew whose voice kind of just naturally would suit what. Mm-hmm. So then it became a question of layering on top of that. How do we take it from this intimate beginning of the song to an operatic esque finale? Mm-hmm. Um, and what is the transition and what's the arc? How fast do we get there? How long can we sustain that process? And as we as we started developing each moment of seeing like David and Ors's voice, they blend in a certain way. Certain harmonics pick up with each other. Mm-hmm. David and Sebastian, has a different vibe. Mm-hmm. Sebastian and Urs has a different vibe. And everyone working with Carlos has a different vibe <laughs> and with each other. Yeah. So it, really, oh, it Carlos. really was, you know, and, and again, it just depended on which part of the song mm-hmm. had, who would be the most impactful yeah. at each moment and how could we all blend with each other? And so it's always a continual discovery process.
0: Wow. So it's very collaborative but more so more so than i would have guessed but that makes total sense you find sort of the the emotional center of the song or the musical center of the song and then you sort of build out an identity from an individual artist from there mm-hmm. I, I and i'm sort of reflecting on the performance that you just did in phoenix it, it seems like it was a few months ago and i know that's not true but that's the covid <laughs> time frame uh, right Janice, uh, Manhattan Transfer has done, uh, if, if, if my facts are right, 29 albums together. Is that right? Uh, you, you, I mean, maybe you lose count at that point, but but you you surely have explored all of those kinds of dimensions that Dave, David was just talking about. And then also the added dimension in the last uh, six or seven years of adding a new voice to the group to try to integrate into a sound that's already very mature. How does that work for for Manhattan Transfer?
3: Oh, okay. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about here Mm -hmm. with the idea (laughs) of of blend. First of all, we, we came together by destiny. So we, we, um, discovered each other as singers, you know, and none of us were schooled at Mm -hmm. all except, except Alan, um, I also would like to mention the idea of the single gender group versus the mixed gender group.
0: Great point.
3: You know, I think it's much easier to blend when you have the same gender. Mm
0: hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Look at all, you know, the, the sister groups, uh-huh. the, the all male groups, the four freshmen, the high lows, uh, they had a very, I think <clears throat> an easier time, especially those that were siblings had a much easier time blending. Um, with me I'm the alto so I'm usually right below the melody and with Laurel Massey, who was our original soprano her voice was very creamy and uh, thick rich uh I ha- I had an easy time blending with her mm-hmm. Cheryl is more like a clarinet mm-hmm. she joined she she she's reedy yeah. uh, and she, I she joined us in 19 um 79 1980 if mm-hmm. left. Um, we and we we're, we're two men and two women. Uh, so with and our signature sound is close four part harmony. So in the beginning the men were really high.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know in order to make that sound.
1: Oh yeah. And, and as that.
3: we've as we've all aged that sound has changed certainly because the guys uh, their falsetto got weaker or different you know <laughs> their, their breaks lowered we had to lower some keys or, or reassess the harmony you know a lot of times mm-hmm. um i was just talking about this issue last night with take six who are of course a single gender group and uh i mean and andy and the question was who do you follow in the blend mm-hmm. do you follow the melody do you follow the top part uh and again as as david was saying it depends on the style of song mm-hmm. it really does depend on the style of song mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we do everything from um from out and out pop music to bebop to swing to western swing to uh brazilian music uh to dance music so it depends who's singing the lead
0: yeah. really, and, and who, i think who we follow and that's uh, that's such a, um, a unifying <laughs> character of your three groups as well, because you, you don't just have one sort of sound, one sort of approach. when you're talking about the concept of of blend. You're looking at it longitudinally over a number of years. You're looking at exactly. it in terms of repertoire in a, you know, in a single right. album. Uh, it's it's so complex. It is. And so when,
3: when Trist came in, it was a very different sound because yeah. he was actually a true bass, mm-hmm. whereas Tim was not.
1: Mm-hmm, mm. tim
3: was more of a baritone almost tenor you know but he was singing the bottom part. but trist is truly a bass right so we had to readjust with that and he's got a very full fat sound
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no i remember his his sound in in that uh concert in austin And I I just want to give full disclosure here. I was a member of the uh, Paragon Jazz Voice Ensemble at New World School for the Arts in high school. So I consider myself an expert in both opera and jazz. I I try not to be too intimidated by that. (laughs) Uh, So, so, Lauren, um, uh, same question here, uh, you know, and 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 thinking about that mix of repertoire, of course, uh, New York Voices has has has. I, I mean, I love the the uh, Paul Simon album. Is just an, one departure uh, that that uh, your group has taken in terms of in terms of a sound. But but it, it, is it the same for you? Is it you, you know the repertoire helps to sort of dictate the, you know the color that you're going to sort of gather around, or or is it different for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we too, you know, uh, when I think about blend, you know, it's, a, it, I, I agree even within the, and when opera perceives that word is kind of a, a dangerous word, there is such thing as it's like, you can overblend, you can tuck everybody in so much that the very character of everybody's voice that is so singular and special gets watered down. So we really try to, um, think of ourselves as, uh, you know, um, for singers, um, and we actually like all the character in each of our sounds. I'm, I too have a first soprano. That's got a really warm, um, fat first soprano. She just nails it up there in a really fat way. So I can, and I'm a little bit more bright and reedy. And so I, I, I'm right up underneath They're giving her actually some presents and something, you know, and then, uh, and our tenor is kind of more reedy and, and bright. And then our bass has got a lot of really warm gooey stuff too. And so we, we really like it
0: sounds like have- an entree at a really good restaurant, you know,
2: always, always, <laughs> you know, and we're always thinking about if everybody's singing in tune, singing with similar vowels and attacks, mm-hmm. um, Uh, and balanced that that wall that comes at you will have character that uh, that is unique to the to our particular four-headed artist Um, Mm. and it's not so tucked in that it feels like god i wish there was a person in that's in that group sound Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so we're always trying to actually find that balance of like a good blend but then please let's have some gristle and some <laughs> color and some stuff that's happening around it too, so that um, so that it feels re- you know alive um, as um, as well in other ways. So we but we talk about that a lot, and we also like sometimes I switch and sing the top um, on the soprano stuff when we want a more bluesy poppy thing on top. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll and and then Kim will jump to the bottom, um, and likewise. So we play with our with our sounds and and yes uh, as David said you know we try to we try to find the things that like someone does really that's their thing and you go great we need to find things that feature that thing that you do so so well and support that Mm -hmm. and um and it changes of course because we too were other groups been around for 33 years so like like Janice mentions, um, we're not the 20 something year olds anymore uh, with the 20 something year old voices. I still like our, all of our voices, but they're just different. You know, Mm -hmm. they're more lived in and they're a little bit more, you know, like my, my wood den in here. We're just a little bit more lived (laughs) in. So, so I think, you know, um, though we talk about all those things and we talk all about like, vibrato no vibrato you know how much how all those things to make sure that <laughs> um that we hear the chord and yet don't get so precious about the chord it's just yeah. a balance of 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 craft and art and um and i think uh the other thing we talk about a lot as the voices is the very thing that i think um, david mentioned earlier is um we don't want to squash the individual spirit of, of, of everybody as soloists too. So that you forget how to actually sing a solo. So everybody in New York Voices is, we'd like to think are as, as strong a solo singer as they are ensemble. And you just are really comfortable with t- putting on this hat, taking off that hat. And in a half a nanosecond, you've got the group hat on. And then that next second, you're, you're rocking your solo. So we like to think that that muscle is super fine tuned. Mm-hmm. And we really like that muscle. We, mm-hmm. I mean, you have to really want to play really nice with all your playmates when like, I'm going to rock this right now. You've got my back. And then I'm going to totally know when to tuck myself in and be just, you know, this for, oh, look, the sun came out, just that four way, <laughs> you know, that four headed artist. That point was
0: like, validated. Yes. <laughs> 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 anyway, now, you, you sort of ju- you sort of jump me forward in, in a in a wonderful way, too. Um, to another point I wanted to talk about today. So you, you all are cultivating your own individual artistic voices at all times. And I think that's part of what you are able to bring to your work as an ensemble, but that's been sort of, uh, amplified. Another topic I want to come to (laughs) during our discussion today, amplification, but that's been sort of amplified in this period of COVID where you're not only, um, you know, working perhaps on your own solo work during this time, but you're also doing collaborations that you hadn't collaborated on before. So, you know, one of uh, our families, you know, COVID Uh, you know, Binge Delights has been Vocal Gumbo, which has been a collaboration between Janice and Lauren. I would have thought that, like, when you guys see each other on the street, there's supposed to be, like, a knife fight, like, in the Beat It video (laughs) or something like that. You know, like, I would would say, right off the bat, if there's a way for you to get the intellectual property rights to do a Beat It cover between Manhattan Transfer and the New York Voices, and you guys have a knife fight and Quincy Jones breaks you up in the middle of it, like... Wow. I'm just saying. I'm giving. That's my gift to you in the world today. Wow. <laughs> so well, but, we we do ahead.
2: have we do have actually a a collaboration <laughs> in the works right now as we speak. But instead of Quincy Jones, we have a world-renowned tap dancer.
0: Oh, all right. <clears throat> so okay. figure
2: that one out.
0: Just get the switchblade. <laughs> that's uh, I've got I've got standards <laughs> over here. But 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 talk about well. So so Vocal Mania was a program you guys. We're really just taking off on in, in New York live live performances featuring up and coming and established artists. It was sort of becoming a New York thing. COVID hits and you guys decide you're going to move it online um, th- that that collaboration. What has that been for you that sort of um, in terms of your own artistic, you know, battery during during this period of time, Janice?
3: Oh my God! It's been keeping my battery completely charged. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I love the studio myself. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've been recording since I'm twelve years old, and I just I I love the studio as an as an instrument to use the studio, to to as a playground. You know, to, to do all. And now you can do so many things in the studio mm-hmm. with dig, digital technology. But it it has been keeping my battery charge in the sense I've had to learn and kind try and master some of these new technologies that give me the ability to pass, uh, stems back and forth and, and do these collaborations. I'm able to, I mean, to collaborate with artists on the other side of the world
1: mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm.
3: is a thrill and, and it's, um, it's, I do a lot of the vocal arrangements for the transfer, or I have done. So um, this has been also been an, opera, uh, an opportunity to vocal arrange, but without the pencil and paper.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm.
3: it's to use that muscle of uh, head, the head arrangement, the mm-hmm. vocal arranging on the fly. And that has been a real thrill with Lauren, mm-hmm. you know, because we do these in the blind collaborations where some artists will send us a piece of music and will mm-hmm. I'll just do what I'm feeling right. without without editing or or discussion and then I'll throw it to Lauren and she'll do what she she won't listen she'll just do it what she's feeling and then we'll mash them together and it's extraordinary how we finish each other's sentences musically
0: yeah. and somehow know. whether and somehow or other just going back a topic there's still blend somehow, even though you didn't work on unifying your ooh vowels for 35 right. minutes, you know? Well,
3: you <laughs> right. know, blending blending in the studio is a different animal.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think we could probably do a whole another episode just on studio technique. Um, David, um, Bohemisphere, uh, you and I are, are sort of... Um, i i think unexpectedly kindred spirits and, and i i'm gonna go back to that facebook messenger chat and and bug you like probably in the middle of the night because the things that haunt me about opera are you know just finding a way for this form to have authentic connection in this day and age you know we 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 give sort of this nod to the idea that opera was a a popular art form of, you know operas that we revere like you know tosca traviata and so forth or you know, stories ripped from the headlines and meant to really connect. Um, and in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a sense that um, sometimes I'm not sure we embrace as a field fully enough. So I, I know, I know bohemisphere sort of touches to, uh, you know, a, a longer a longer history with you and other passions that you have. Maybe just talking about your COVID pivot, Bohemisphere, how you think about keeping your artistic battery sort of fully charged during this time.
4: Right. Um, Well, uh, Bohemisphere was a uh, kind of a concept that came to me about five years ago. And uh, around that time, I was uh, in the middle of investigating yet uh, a potential third career um, (laughs) as a film director. And I, that, that idea was an evolution over time with, uh, with, through Il Divo, um, in the very first days, the record company uh, was kind of lamenting that we didn't—we were creating something new and and so different and unique and and creative—but um, we weren't. We didn't have uh, any sort of behind-the-scenes being captured. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't have a, a film crew there capturing it, and it was just stuff that it was so um, improvised is not the right word, but. Ideas were just happening so fast in real time that that no one was capturing that. Um, it, it was not something that could be staged. so I said, you know what i'm I'm handy with a camera. Um, give me a camera and i'll I'll just catch stuff and I'll send you the footage
1: mm-hmm.
4: um, and which was true i i I've been kind of the two things that have always been artistically uh engaging for me was music, and that was since I was uh eight years old. Uh, my first musical endeavor was, my first instrument was trombone, which, uh, youth orchestra, which ended up being a jazz ensemble, this 10-year-old kid playing jazz on a trombone, which, <laughs> it was, the, the thing was bigger than I was. Um, but, uh, and the other thing was film. My dad was uh, kind of a hobbyist. He always had an eight-millimeter camera in his hand, and he let me play with it um, and uh it, it always just kind of, it planted this seed that did not bloom until much later. Mm-hmm. Um, when in college, as a, as a means to kind of pass my opera directing course, I was already working as a tenor and a performance was going to conflict with the opera scenes program. So my teacher um, struck a deal with me and allowed me to film an opera scene instead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that opera scene was a hand of bridge. And then cut to Il Devo, they hand me a camera, I'm filming stuff and uh, no one was really doing anything with it. So I taught myself then how to edit as well. Then started putting these things together, um, little short films, kind of the making of the album, the making of the tour, the this and this and that as we kind of mm. hit every milestone. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing that for about 15 years. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, my brain took all of that information and synthesized it into a new idea of, and it it came around about the time uh, Sarah Joy and I were going to do uh, a performance. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, I started seeing visions of productions that I had not been a part of. And I realized it was my brain trying to tell me, this is something you're going to create or could Mm -hmm. be creating. Mm -hmm. And uh, cut to then creating my first film, which was a recreation of that, uh, Samuel Barber Nyman Opera at Bridge. And so Bohemisphere then became this platform that launched an entire other section of my creativity um, into being. Mm-hmm. And it, it, the the to bring it back to your point, the, the kind of how do we, the way you and I and, and other people in, in the opera industry, we were racking our brains trying to find new ways of of keeping this centuries-old art form relevant in modern society. And, uh, you know, how do we get these epic storylines which seem to be so ensconced in um, sociological traditions that we just don't sustain anymore in Mm -hmm. the modern era? How do we keep these stories relevant? Is it that we update the production? Is it that we... Um, you know take it out of the opera house is it you know how do we do this and so I think Bohemisphere is is um, kind of my um, version of trying to figure out a new way to present through film which I think is a very underutilized medium for opera. Although
0: that's changing now in COVID we're all it is changing now in COVID
4: it is and and so I think this this springboard um could very well be you know the future of opera
0: yeah no I, i'm with you 100 percent on that and and you and i had an exchange probably six or eight months ago about the 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 idea of blue ocean strategy and uh and and i was worried i might have like peaked you at the time <laughs> when we're talking about el devo and things that are things that el modifies relative to a traditional operatic approach and, you know, things that you create that are new and video might be one of those things because we don't do music videos for opera very often. Uh, you might reduce, you know, certain of the quote unquote, like legit sound, you might lean into a little bit more of a pop sound so that, so that there is a palette there that people can connect with more. And, and, and this is the big question is, you know, the the difference between the way you sing which i've which i've heard you do in like that in your totally legit david miller opera singer roaring you know uh, uh, you know uh, opera traditional classics versus il divo they're really not that different they're not that different but with a 10 degree shift you add some video you add uh you know these uh the 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 Particular kinds of theatrical elements that you have in your show, and all of a sudden you go from a space where an average opera video might get a hundred views or four hundred views, to uh, to you know to an El Devo video that gets ninety six million views, and and it's and it's not about it's not about a ninety degree. <laughs>
4: I wish it was ninety six million. <laughs> I was just thinking to myself, this is ninety six million <laughs> from
0: your mouth. <laughs> no, no, we were we were on YouTube this morning. I think it was Regresa a May or something like that. has got it's tens of millions. I am pretty sure. Uh, <laughs> but and you know, and it's um, I, and I think for all of these forms, and and I think I think of vocal jazz in the same way. These are these are sort of timeless languages, where I think a ten degree shift could open up a space that 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 gives you the chance to impact people. David, that was a word you used earlier, impact people in a totally different way. So so Lauren, is that the when New York Voices has gone into a, you know, a musical space that's not your, you know, traditional sound, whether it's like a collaboration with Paquita de Rivera, is it right. with that intentionality of you know, how do we reach people in a way that we haven't reached before, reach people we have, you know, that we've, we've never even spoken to before, or is it about exploring an artistic idea that's that's just a curiosity and you want to dive into that, or, or maybe it's a combination?
2: Well, I mean, I think the, the thing about having a long um, artistic career is I just think you always have to be willing to risk something um, and to perhaps the initial notion of like, well, that that pool of water over there isn't really that I'm that familiar with. But, God, I love it. You know, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, Paquero de Rivero is doing over there or or the Count Basie Orchestra. You know, we've we've toured with both of these individuals or or Ivan Lins from Brazil. When you get a chance to actually go on the road and make music with these people and record with them, that's when the transference of information—not just music, because it was—if it was always ever just about music, wouldn't there just be like a tremendous amount of of you know well-known music singers and people out there? It's always about the content and what's bubbling underneath the surface. Mm-hmm. It's always the emotional context or the con- context or the relevance, which is what David's talking about. How do you how do you make yourself sound both extraordinarily poised in whatever genre you're stepping into but also you know accessible and exciting and you know again risking something and daring something that's when you move the creative bar forward and so i would venture to say that you know i feel like when we really exercise that question about what do what do i want to really say and what and and how do I use all the skills that I have to help me say it? And um, and and I'm just going to do it with aplomb. I'm just going to do it. And those kinds of things, I think, really move you into places that maybe people weren't even going to see you in because
1: mm-hmm.
2: perception in this industry is exhausting because it will always go, well. Lauren's in a vocal jazz ensemble she's the alto and so that's who she is Mm -hmm. so they don't you know really think about whatever maybe your your other really vibrant skills over here that Mm -hmm. are just as marketable so I think you just have to keep pushing and I think when we've had opportunities to either work with Paquito or um, work with John Hendricks like Janice and Manhattan transfer done and when you have these chances to work with people, you, you just take on more information for your instrument to then be educated and be able to then jump into that arena comfortably in the future. And, and one other thing is about with our relevancy, you know, uh, vocal jazz is a very interesting niche, just like opera in that it can be a bit stuck in its in its old ways if we're not continuing to kick that can down the road right Mm -hmm. and so we have to constantly ask ourselves what do we want vocal jazz to sound like now and how can we actually mess our hair up a little bit so Mm -hmm. that it actually feels a little bit more um you know uh current or we're bringing other elements Uh, into it or more youthful people or more diversity or any kind of thing that's going to help um, you grow and bring a really exciting product to the table that's I think that's what has to drive the conversation these days um, for the established artist Mm -hmm. and likewise for the burgeoning artist is who are you where do you want to be and how how well can you execute, you know, being as raw and fabulous as possible.
0: I love it. So, you know, I, first of all, let me just say that I'm really feeling like a New York Voices, Manhattan transfer, Il Devo tribute Woo! album, and vice versa. You know, how how terrifying would it be on a scale, this is just a quick hit, on a scale of one to 10. Lauren, if you had to cover like an opera, you know, crossover album, is I think you guys could pull it off. Is that a, Carmen oh yeah I love it we could actually put together a whole production of Carmen with with this group
2: well it's always those kind of cross pollinations are always very interesting because you mm. might you might re-harm something or you might contemporize something but and then and but and then our voices that are a little less about like spinning to the back of the room if you get to open up that instrument to do that that's that's fun for us and likewise you know it's it's understanding another sort of um, way in which a a line has to be held. I've, I've done, we've done some contemporary classical things. Mm -hmm. We're all trained classically, but I know for a fact, I would be, you know, really a fish out of water. If I had to be in any sort of legit perception, I'd be like, you know, I'm going to just do my best here. And if you can use my color, you got it, but uh, if it ain't working for you, I get it.
0: <laughs> I, I feel I feel like it has been thrown down. I, I want to see it, and and I just also want to go back to my my beaded analogy to say that this opens up a possibility of a darman meter David Miller uh knife fight going on right beside you know Janice and Lauren.
3: Why are you <laughs> so into the knives? He's I just very, I
0: just like the, I like the danger of these vo- vocal okay. quartets. You know. All right. It's like the scene in Anchorman where all the newscasters. Yes. Go down, yes. Rick's got yes. a trident, you know, like who's got a trident. Well, maybe uh,
2: we'll have to do a collaboration for Vocal Gumbo. Maybe we'll uh, have to that's think. my thought.
0: Yes. Uh, wait, no, I, was, I can do to support that. Go ahead, David. I I was I like
4: as <clears throat> Lauren, as you as you were talking, I, I was thinking to myself, and kinda of as this conversation has been progressing, and I'm not I'm not about to get political, but what what some an endeavor like this would be so interesting um, because it would create tensions between the conservatives and the progressives. And I think that's where we're all kind of trying to figure out where's the sweet spot between you know for for the, the opera conservatives. Who would say no amplification, absolutely whatsoever. Right. Mm-hmm. Or the progressives who would say, well, maybe a little amplification, we could bring in a new audience.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And the 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 what I would call the opera clergy, who would say, Oh, wow. how dare you distort the sacred text of, <laughs> you know, and and for all of the, the the modern progressive, you know, new audience who would say, Who cares? <laughs> this moves me. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy this experience of being moved by music. And so trying to, in you know, who are you going to alienate and who are you going to include? That's always the, the crux of what we're trying to do as, as we move forward.
0: I, yeah. I want to jump on that because that, for me, that's, that might be sort of like the wrap-up point here because I think ensemble singing, any kind of ensemble activity, requires you to be true to yourself, but it also requires a certain amount of surrender. You're willing to yield something of yourself and and it's and it's it sort of relates to ego. You're you're willing to yield something that you value to make something more valuable to other people. And ensemble singing contains that idea as just a as like sort of a core principle. You've got to give something up of yourself to make this whole a, a better thing and more impactful for other people. And I, and I, I feel you a thousand percent, uh, David with opera. And I, and I do think this, this comes to jazz as well is, you know, what are we willing to yield to make a, a bigger difference in more people's lives? And, and for me, music is just a vehicle to do that. It's, it's a hundred percent about that. Okay. Well, um, this, I, I really could do this, Uh, for another hour and and it would be a horrible abuse of your time um although in the opera space we're used to doing things multiple hours i'm going to um i'm going to sign off with one absolutely ridiculous uh question and i'm going to tie off with david and he knows why um if there was a a vocal competition for voice quartets in the world and you three were the judges and you can be the same, you can give the same answer if you want. Are you Randy, Simon, or Paula? And, and I want to say that, you know, every time I go out on my audition tour, I ask myself, am I, am I Randy, Simon, or Paula today? Opera singers <laughs> love American Idol. <laughs> so you're stuck with this. You have to answer. You cannot, cannot divert. And because Lauren <laughs> looks really petrified, I'm starting with her. <laughs> ah. <laughs> and you do, I, you do you do adjudication of of uh, you know I, jazz competitions and things like that. So who are you in that space?
2: I do. Oh my goodness gracious. Um I'm either I'm I'm um, Ralla.
0: Rolla. Okay, Randy <laughs> and Paula together. Yeah. I like that. Hey, listen, we're talking about how do we blend things in a way to create a <laughs> new well done. Rolla. Okay. Okay. Well, if,
4: if we could distill down what the three of their kind of functions and their natures are as judges. So Simon is, he's really about the wow factor Mm -hmm. and um, you know, he's my former boss and I, I think he's really good at being able to kind of see something's potential impact um, on the world. What is the wow factor? What's going to capture, what's, what's going to impact, right? Mm-hmm. Paula, she is the heart of the group.
1: Mm-hmm. How
4: much does this move me emotionally?
1: Mm-hmm. Not
4: necessarily wow me, but does it pull at my heartstrings? Does this make me emotional? She's the emotional one. Randy is the technician. He's always kind of interested in pitch and delivery. So uh janice if you were to say as a judge <laughs> are you a wow factor a heart factor or a technician
3: i'm a heart factor
4: okay so you're a
1: paul Abdul! Well, well, it
4: is.
0: we got there we got there and, and so now i'm gonna put david in the terrible position because simon cowell you know as i understand it went to a secret lab in some eastern block country someplace and dreamed of il Divo, and david miller appeared out of nowhere you're so fortunate, by the way, I thought you were going to take that in a different direction. You know, Simon Cowell is adept at identifying the handsomest and tallest of American tenors. You know, <laughs> you could have you could have really gone full tenor on that. OK, but which, which one are you? I sort of got a feeling, but I'm not sure.
4: Um, well, I would have to say based off of my own definitions and knowing myself as um, I would say I'm, I'm extremely cerebral about singing my voice uh, and kind of my bodily experience of producing the sound is almost, it's almost an entirely different, like it's the boat and my mind is what drives the boat. Mm-hmm. The boat has an emotional impact for people, but I'm the driver of the boat. So I would say I'm i am more interested in technique. I'm more interested in accuracy Um, And kind of all of the qualities uh, that you were describing as, as being a judge of, you know, what are these, these different things that you're looking for of style and and intonation and blending and, and all of those things. And so I, I, I love to get in and dissect all those things. And so I think I'd probably be a
0: Randy. Randy. Okay, well, we got it covered. I I (laughs) I just know. I just want to say
2: really, I just want (laughs) to say really quick, by the way, David, your voice is really beautiful. And it was fun to traipse around and, and, you know, and, and listen to uh, your career in, 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 in the last couple of days and um, in terms of really just get to know you more before I met you and just a really extraordinary instrument um Thank so you. it's so it's so fun to hear it's a very different instrument than mine and what I've built for myself and I always as being around Joe and my sister Kate who are also, who's also a um a color tour soprano you know I just I get what you guys are doing I just but I didn't build that and I'm still always in awe of it, though. And it's a really beautiful instrument. And and I, I wish your group um, um, continued success. That doesn't seem to be a problem, but but still continued success.
4: Well, thank you so much. That's that was very generous and kind of you. Thank you.
0: Fantastic. Well, you're sort of you know um, making my dream of this beat it video concept Dr- drift away <laughs> with this uh, with this detente that you have created here, Lauren. But. Uh, you know, but maybe we'll have to have you back for uh, another episode at some point. I, I know people are going to really uh, enjoy this conversation because, you know, when I think about opera at its core, it's storytelling through music. Yes, but it's it's through the human voice like like that's the that is the, the unifying principle and all of you are our storytellers through the voice and you've been generous with your voice today and i i just so appreciate you taking uh this time and sharing and being vulnerable and also putting up with my ridiculous sense of humor um throughout <laughs> the entire thing um, Who
4: are you, Randy, <laughs> Randy, Simon, oh, yeah. or Paul? Which one? Which what? one is Joe Spector?
0: Well, I, I would say that I actually crowdsourced this question the last time we went out on tour, and I too am. If you, if if the if the public is to be believed, uh, it was a uniform, Randy. uh among among my uh my facebook friends so very good take that for what it's (laughs) worth but but thank you all so much for being here today i had so much fun i hope you did too thank you thank you for inviting us oh just just a wonderful conversation so um uh, signing off from unmiked i'm joe specter thank you to all our guests for being here and i can't wait to see you at the next episode thank you so much thank you Thank you for joining us for this episode of Unmiked, where we blur the edges that connect the world of opera to just about everything else. A new episode will be released each month, so be sure to check our website, azopera.org, join our email list, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Unmiked is a part of Arizona Opera's Connection Lab program, a new series of digital and public offerings designed to facilitate a connection between Arizona communities familiar with our company, as well as opera goers and others well beyond our state. Arizona Opera is grateful to our lead digital sponsors for the 2020-21 season, Ron and Kay McDougall. Arizona Opera's Next Gen programs are made possible through the support of Karen Fruin, Roma Whitcoff, Jeanette J. Siegel, the Valentine Family Foundation, APS, and Jody Pelusi. To learn more about the programs that are part of Arizona Opera Next Gen, please visit us online at azopera.org.